This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beer in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Manhattan Brewing, as well as their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all of the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff there, and uh, if you're going to be in Manhattan here in these next couple weeks, be sure to stop in for a beer. I know they'd be glad to see you. Now, Dilu and I will look ahead to preview K-State's game against number 8 TCU in Fort Worth. This is the short side option. Nice to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's Deli. And we are previewing, no review this time after K-State uh, gets a much-needed bye week. And uh, they're rested up here to take on the undefeated and number seven or number 8th ranked TCU Horned Frogs. A 7 o'clock kickoff on FS1. Amon G. Carter Stadium in Fort Worth is the site for it. And... Uh, yeah, you have K-State coming in, number 17, TCU at 8. Uh, a big-time matchup of two undefeated teams in prime time. Uh, undefeated K- Big 12 teams. Undefeated Big 12 teams, yes. I should, I should preface by saying that. Uh, taking, uh, taking the field under the lights in uh, deep in the heart of Texas. Can't ask for much better than that. Yeah, K-State playing meaningful October football for the first time in a while. Yeah, and, you know, really, let's... Let's jump into it here by looking at what TCU's done so far in the season. 6-0, last week uh, an overtime, a double overtime win against Oklahoma State in what was a, a thoroughly entertaining game throughout. Oklahoma State led that game from pretty much start to finish, uh, except, for the, except for the finish, uh, where, where TCU was able to get a touchdown uh, to answer Oklahoma State's field goal in double overtime. And uh, TCU comes back and, and wins that game. 43 to, to 40, and uh, Max Duggan had a great game, 286 yards passing uh, for two touchdowns. He's really kind of ascended here. Uh, Chandler Morris really was the starting quarterback at the start of the season. There was a little bit of controversy going into the season. Would it be Max Duggan? Would it be Chandler Morris uh, with the new staff, with Sonny Dykes coming uh, across town, so to speak, uh, coming over from SMU to, to take over for Gary Patterson at TCU? And uh, the TCU offense has really kind of caught its stride here uh, under Sonny Dykes, and they've, they've had a marked improvement on that side of football. Yeah, and it's a, it's a fun offense to watch because we'll get into it in a little more detail later on, but it's a, it's a balanced offense. It's, it's an offense that features a running quarterback, Max Duggan, who, who can do some nice things on the ground with his legs. 
uh, Kendra Miller, um, one of the better backs in the conference as far as I'm concerned. And then, uh, so a stout enough running game, and then you get out to the, the guys they have out wide who uh, is highlighted by Quentin Johnston, um, who might just be the best wide receiver in the Big 12. And beyond that, you have a, a three or four other wide receivers out there uh, who can really punish you if uh, you, you're leaving them out to dry. So all in all, a, a very solid, balanced offense in the Big 12, uh, led by uh, what's probably one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12 right now, and Max Duggan. Yeah, and you know, really with Max Duggan, I, I think kind of the story for him really is a bit of a story of redemption. You know, he, he did not start the season as a starting quarterback. He comes in uh, after uh, Chandler Morris leaves with injury in, in the non-conference. And, you know, all Max Duggan has done so far is throw for 150 or over 1,500 yards, 16 touchdowns to one interception. Uh, he's been tremendous. And he's even garnering a little bit of Heisman love here as we, we get to the midway point of the season. Uh, he's going to be a guy that while he's had great success so far uh, in, in his 2022 campaign, hasn't had a whole lot of luck against K-State in his career, 0-3, but uh, certainly looks like a new player right now. And maybe have, having an offense, not only just with the weapons, but uh, also maybe a little bit more friendly of an offense for his, um, for his, his particular play style that it has really led to some improved results for him. Yeah, and, you know, I and I think a lot of – K-State fans probably feel this way is they see Max Duggan getting, you know, praise on a national level and he's high in the power, quarterback power rankings and people are uh, whispering about Heisman consideration for him and we're kind of thinking, this that is, Max Duggan? Yeah, the, the same guy that I, I saw get sacked uh, several times last uh, last time out against K-State? Yeah. Um, and Max Duggan's a guy who, you know, like I said, he's he can do some nice things on the legs on the ground with his legs. And he's good enough at throwing the football. But I don't think he's great at either of those things. I mean, I, he's not one of the best running quarterbacks in the Big 12, and I don't think he's got the surest arm in the Big 12 either. Um, but he does both of those things well enough that it, it makes the offense work. Because, like we said, it's I think this group of wide receivers – might be the best in the conference. Oh, no question. Um, no question. Or, and if not, they're certainly a top two or three unit in the Big 12. And if you can have a quarterback who limits mistakes and can uh, get the ball there and, and just put it in the area of Quentin Johnston, then that makes that offense work. And when you drop everybody into coverage and he'll take the yardage, that he can get on the ground, um, that makes the offense dangerous and really makes it hard for defensive coordinators to figure out, okay, where do we want to devote our resources here? Do we blitz him? Do we just drop the coverage? What, what do you do? Because then you're having to deal with Keandre Miller and, and DeMarcado uh, in the running game too, two uh, very solid backs. And so it's, yeah. it's a handful to stop uh, for defensive coordinators. When you look at TCU so far through uh, three conference games, they're averaging 543 yards per game, uh, 7.3 yards per play offensively. And a lot of it does come, you know, Max Duggan gets a lot of the, uh, 
the praise at the quarterback position, and then uh, Quentin Johnson, as you mentioned, at the wide receiver position. One thing I think I want to mention, too, was the running backs, as you did. This is not necessarily just a, a team that's going to throw the ball 60 times a game and beat you that way, but they're, they're committed to running the football. They, they ran it with great success um, with, uh, with, with Barber and DiMarcado uh, against, um, against Oklahoma State, or excuse me, Miller and DiMarcado against Oklahoma State. This is a team that's a little bit more balanced than maybe what uh, than what you know the layman might have to say from from what you hear from TCU with great quarterback, great wide receivers. Don't forget about that run game because if K State's able to slow down TCU's uh, high powered offense, I think check mark number one has to be keeping that running game in check. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I I think that starts and it has to really start and end with K-State's second level. Um, because this for the, really the first time this year, ignoring, first time in conference play at least, ignoring Iowa State who couldn't really do anything, um, this is the most balanced offense K-State's faced. This is an offense that can do both. They can run, they can pass, they're proficient at both. And unlike a team like Oklahoma or Texas Tech, who had a little bit of daylight on the ground at yeah, times against yeah. K-State. TCU and Sonny Dykes, they're an offense that won't hesitate to run the ball 35-plus times, kind of divided between Doug and uh, Miller. Miller, somewhere around 10, oh, I'm sorry, 20 carries. Yeah. Uh, and Duggan and, and DiMarcato splitting 15, 20 beyond yeah, that. Yeah, sure. And so this is a situation where K-State's defense, where... I think a little earlier in the season, they got bailed out by offensive coordinators just getting away from the run game a little earlier than they should have. Uh, TCU's not going to do that. This is a team that's comfortable running the ball. Um, they don't feel like they need to pass if they don't need to. Um, and so with that in mind, uh, K-State's front seven, so to speak, um, really need to be the ones to stop the run. And that starts with Eli Huggins and uh, the ends you know, maintaining contain. Uh, but really, I, I think it comes down to Austin Moore and Daniel Green just sure. shoring up and being sure tacklers within four or five yards of the line of scrimmage. Um, because if K-State's depending on their safeties over the top to get closer to the line of scrimmage, you're really playing with fire there because TCU can... One thing TCU does, and they do pretty often and pretty well, is run out of the play action. Yeah, and that's absolutely. where Oklahoma State got burned a lot on Saturday. And if we're having to get Josh Hayes 10 tackles on Keandre Miller, then we're really leaving ourselves vulnerable to getting punished by uh, Quentin Johnston or Savion uh, Williams or some of these other uh, TCU wide receivers that can take the top off the defense. One thing I want to mention, too... That you know, when you watch that case, or when you watch the TCU Oklahoma State game on Saturday, I think it could have couldn't have gone any better from a K State fan perspective. Most definitely, uh, of seeing two teams going to going into overtime, but a very physical, uh, hard fought game for sure. And Max Duggan uh, and Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State. Now Spencer Sanders may be uh, very questionable. For Oklahoma State's game against Texas, there's all the expectation that Max Duggan will play for for TCU, but he also had uh, had had to go into the ten, I believe, 
uh, against Oklahoma State, nursing a little bit of a shoulder injury, it looked like. And, you know, at this, at this point in the season, everyone's kind of got some bumps and bruises. But TCU, uh, especially, I know they're missing some guys on defense, which we'll get to here in a little bit. Uh, but Max Duggan, probably not at 100% here. And uh, I think that's something that I, you want to keep an eye on, too, especially with uh, th- this K-State pass rush, uh, with that front seven. Uh, which has had some success against TCU. As, uh, of course, everyone knows about Felix Anaduke Uzama's huge game against them last year. I look for K-State's front front three, front four, to, to really have uh, be, a, be a little more recharged coming off the bye week and, and for them to have some success in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think this TCU offensive line uh, certainly isn't one of the better units K-State this uh you know, Felix and Nate and, and uh, Khalid Duke are going to face this year. I mean, I think that they're certainly leaky. Um, now, the issue for them will be you can't just pin your ears back and assume that we're going up against Donovan Smith here. Because yeah. that, that's not the case. That Max Duggan will, if those ends get too far afield, he will step up and take off. And so um, I think their job's going to be a little bit contained um, on Saturday. But getting to your point about how the game scripted for TCU and Oklahoma State last week, I mean, yeah, it's a, couldn't have scripted it any better. Uh, TCU, an emotional comeback win. Fans run on the field. They play X. They, you get two overtimes and uh, a quarterback who took a lot of shots. Yeah. And so from that perspective, and meanwhile, K-State's sitting on their couches getting healthy and, and kind of rejuvenated. And so... Uh, Scripting it out, it's like dream scenario for Coach Klein. Um, now, how that factors into the Saturday, who knows? Because uh, we've we've kind of talked about Max Duggan's pros and cons, um, but one thing is watching that game on Saturday. That guy is a gamer. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. If nothing else, you know, you look at you watch that game, and you're like, this Duggan kid's pretty tough because he was taking shots and getting up and shouting and, and just being a leader for that offense. Um, so that was impressive to see. But you start to wonder if that wear and tear and the emotional high for not just Duggan but the entire team um, kind of bleeds over into this Saturday. In terms of the spot, that in going back to kind of that, what, what, what Oklahoma State and TCU did on Saturday and how that kind of fit, fits in for K-State, I love the spot for K-State in this game. Uh, as as I've mentioned before, coming off the bye week, having a chance to get a little bit healthier, uh, really love this spot as we head to uh, to the Stockyards to take on TCU for Kansas State. Now, is there anything else you want to touch on the offensive side here for TCU? Well, just on the subject of the Oklahoma State-TCU game, I mean, we talk about one week bleeding over into the next, and it's easy to kind of dismiss that and say, man, that's probably doesn't matter. But an interesting thing kind of in this same realm, is when you, people were previewing the Oklahoma State-TCU game, everyone was pointing back to oh, Oklahoma State, that defense was on the field for 104 snaps yeah. against Texas Tech. Yeah, And that was a talking point that I kind of rolled my eyes at, and I'm thinking, okay, so what's 20, 25 extra plays? Um, but anybody who watched that Oklahoma State-TCU game, I mean... I don't know whether it was Texas Tech or just the wear and tear of the season as a whole or what, but you watch that second half, and it was apparent as early as midway through the third quarter 
that Oklahoma State was out of gas. Yep, absolutely. Um, they were bleeding, and you know, they had a two-score lead for a good portion of that game. Um, at one point, having a three-score lead. Uh, but Oklahoma State needed that game to be about five, ten minutes shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just got the sense that with five minutes left, even though Oklahoma State had the lead at that time, that they weren't going to hold this thing. Um, or they were. it was a race against the clock. Yep. Because yep. Oklahoma State had checked out. I mean, you and I were talking a little earlier, Oklahoma State scored their... Uh, their last touchdown. Their last touchdown with... Last touchdown in regulation. Sure. Ten minutes left in the second quarter. Um, and so they pressed the gas early and um, ran out of it quick because uh, whether that had anything to do with Texas Tech or not, I don't know. Um, but the bottom line is that's an example, at least in my view, of the week prior bleeding over and kind of tanking a team the following week. And if that holds through this week, it's good news for K-State. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this TCU defense, as we transition to that side of the ball for, for the Horned Frogs, you know, long gone is Gary Patterson, where you could always kind of count on TCU to be a pretty well-schooled defense. They're, they run out of, used to run out of the 4-2-5, now a little bit more in the 3-3-5, uh, similar to what you see a lot of teams in the Big 12, right? right. With, with K-State, Iowa State, who, of course, is kind of the godfather of that. Uh, but a TCU defense... That, you know, I think I'm a little bit higher on than, than maybe you are. Uh, when you look at, uh, as I'm getting this pulled up here, but in terms of their uh, yards per play and conference play, you know, sitting there at, at five and a half, which isn't, isn't great necessarily, but it is good for third in the Big 12. Uh, of course, Iowa State, Texas, uh, two of the other top teams in, in the conference uh, in terms of that metric. K-State right there at 6. So I think K-State's defense is one of the better ones in the Big 12. Uh, I think TCU's probably kind of in that second second tier, so to speak, if you mm-hmm. would. Uh, but I think a, a, an opportunistic defense in, in terms of, two, what you see from this Texas Tech defense, I think you see a, a, a unit that's got a lot of speed. And I don't know if that's necessarily a, a surprise to anybody that's that has watched this uh this TCU defense over the years, uh, guy that really catches my eye is D. Winters, their linebacker. Uh, they've got a couple linebackers uh, that really do a nice job in terms of being sure tacklers in space, uh, but also have that sideline to sideline speed, which is typically giving K State some trouble uh, whenever you have somebody that can make tackles in space. Because with K State's offense, whether if it was under Bill Snyder or, or now under Chris Kleiman, more so under Snyder, but you would try to see them try to get guys out in open field and, and kind of live off having people miss tackles. There is a little bit of what I've seen from TCU as maybe not as sure tacklers as you might uh, as you might like if you're a Horned Frog fan. I look for K-State maybe to have some opportunities to, to get the ball out wide, whether if it's to Phillip Brooks, Malik Knowles, on some of those wide receiver screens, or maybe even getting them out in the jet sweep game uh, as well to, to put some extra pressure uh, on what's really, a, a, I think, a pretty talented TCU defense. Yeah, and I think, you know, these last two games for K-State where the offenses looked kind of MIA for periods of the game, 
oh, with Iowa State and Texas Tech. We talked about it ad nauseum uh, in those games that those defensive lines that those guys had, particularly Iowa State, um, are really solid defensive lines. I, I really liked Texas Tech's defensive lines. They're big athletic defensive ends. Iowa State almost goes without saying with guys like Will McDonald, and they're very talented front seven. So I keep calling it a front seven. Yeah, th- that's the that's the it, uh, the the normal. Uh, I the guess, defensive line and the linebacker. Yeah, the normal. Uh, I guess. Uh, Unit markings that you would take. And with a there. jack, you can probably add sure. then to the seven. In any event, I so when I'm saying I, I'm not much of a TCU defense believer, it's probably just a matter of I don't think their defensive line is up there with Iowa State and Texas Tech, which doesn't make them a bad defense. It just makes them a little bit more of an ordinary defensive line. Um, and so I, the fresh memory in a lot of K-State fans' heads are boy, this offensive line isn't... We may have been sold a false bill of goods here for this offensive line that we were pretty high on coming into the season. But I think the offensive line has faced... I mean, it's probably two of the top four defensive lines uh, in the rest of the conference. And I don't think this TC defensive line is is up there. And so I think K-State's offensive line should be able to bully around uh, the TCU front seven um, a little bit easier. Now, TCU, I expect to do what a lot of teams do against K-State, which is... Commit a lot, too. Commit a lot. Yeah. Bring the safeties up and, and take care of that. But that's just going to be what K-State deals with this year. And so... Most definitely. Um, I, there's nothing about this TCU... I guess the TCU defense is roughly an ordinary Big 12 defense this year. And that's to say that they're... Okay, I mean, I think that they have athletes. They're certainly not pushover, but aside from Oklahoma, I think this is probably the worst front seven K State's going to face have faced since South Dakota. Um, I, I like Missouri's front seven more than I like TCU's, and so um, that's good. That's great news for K State because yeah. we that I still think we have a really good, powerful rushing offense, and that's tough for defenses to handle. And so if TCU's committing eight guys into the box, then that's what that's just what K-State... That's the ideal scenario. Because um, you don't want K-State's offense to get shut down uh, against a base defense. And so um, if TCU's going to stop our running game, I think they're going to have to really commit a lot to it. And that's going to open up things for, for Adrian and some of these wide receivers who can... I mean, against Iowa State, for example. Those were there. Yeah. Um, and I think if TCU is committed to stopping our running game, those are definitely going to be there against TCU. When you look at what K-State, we, we, you mentioned the wide receivers in, in the passing game a little bit. For, for K-State's offense to have success against this TCU defense, one thing I, I know I mentioned already was uh, I, I look for us to get the ball out on the perimeter a little bit to kind of maybe put some stress out there to ha- have a little bit more uh, running lanes through the A and B gap. Now, with that being said, too, you have to have a little bit of a vertical threat. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think K-State is going to have some trouble. Just because that's an, an, an aspect of the offense that has not been consistently there. Uh, of course, there are the two big plays against Iowa State. One for a touchdown, one for a, a huge gain that gets uh, popped out at the one. But if K-State's able to have even success... 
not necessarily in the deep downfield passing game where we're throwing it 20, 30 yards down the field, but just in the intermediate game. Uh, that That is obviously another big pl- big part of the, this passing offense. Uh, what what do you look for for K-State to be able to have success there? Uh, I think something that you, you look for is our guy Ben Sinnott getting involved I was, there. I was going to have one word for you, and that word, Ben. Ben. And, and, you know, maybe Sammy Wheeler gets a little bit more involved in the passing game uh, as well. But to have those guys kind of in those seams, uh, because TCU is not going to be they – were, they were pretty aggressive later on in that game against against um, against Oklahoma State. Well, they saw a wounded animal. They saw – and I think that was because they, they saw that this offense was running out of gas and also Spencer Sanders was – Operating with less than a full deck, I think that's fair to say. Yes, yeah. his availability going forward is a little bit in question for Oklahoma State. But uh, I, I look at this as a matchup w- with with K State. They're going to have to find some passing game here eventually. We've we've talked about that. They their passing game has done just enough, um, kind of here throughout uh, the first three games of conference play. Uh, this might be the tougher uh, uh, one of their toughest tests um, in terms of just the spot that they're in. Uh, but I look at it as a uh, an opportunity for them to have success because I do think, as you mentioned, TCU is going to put a lot of guys uh, c- commit a lot of numbers uh, up front to stopping the run, and I think those opportunities are going to be available. Yeah, and you know I hate to belabor the point, but I think a lot of it just comes down to the offensive line controlling the line of scrimmage um, because if case if K State can be controlling the line of scrimmage and force TCU to really overcompensate, then that goes a long way. Uh, you go back um, to the KU game uh, with TCU. Devin Neal had a, a nice day running for yeah, for Kansas. He did. 88 yards on 15 carries. Um, and that opened up a lot, especially in the second half, for Jason B. I mean, a, a lot of his success in the second half came off play action, um, where TCU gets burned a few times for six yards on the ground to Devin Neal, for instance, and then that play fake comes, and they, out of the RPO or whatever, and you see TCU safeties scrambling, uh, trying to catch up with KU receivers. And so, all I have to say again, um, it starts and ends, well, definitely starts with the offensive line just being able to control the line of scrimmage, something we haven't seen for the last couple weeks. Um, I also love the... uh, the lateral screen game out to you see it with Philip Brooks for the most part. Yeah, um, I think that's going to be a big part of K State's game plan on Saturday too, uh, just to unclog the middle a little bit. And that's those are throws that um, Martinez is pretty good at. It seems like Skyler always lacked a little bit of zip out there. I mean, you watch K State throw those, and it always seems like historically the ball gets out to the wide receiver a lot slower than sure watching Oklahoma State, for instance. Or, or some of these other teams who are pretty good with those quick hitter on the wide receiver screens. And Martinez, I think, generally does a pretty good job with those. And, and Brooks is uh, fairly dangerous on that spot and can get upfield. Um, and KSU fan, actually, uh, of message board fame, he had an interesting, I don't know whether it was a post or tweet, but it was Kay Warner's touchdown pass against Tulane. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting back to that, which... Uh, I didn't fully appreciate it at the time, but that was actually really a fake 
screen like, yeah, to the outside. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was a little bubble and, and bubble and go. And we haven't really seen that since. Um, and so I think if K State can incorporate some of that action again against a defense that I I think up and down that defense. I, I know they have decent enough numbers, but I think they're not the best tackling uh, unit in the Big Twelve by far. Bring gave up a lot of tackles against Oklahoma State and SMU and KU uh, for extra yards. And so I think if K-State can can get those opportunities to have guys like Deuce or Phillip Brooks or, or Adrian Martinez out running free, um, then those seven-yard carries might go quite a bit further if they're able to break tackles against a, a defense that is prone to broken tackles. wanted to talk a little bit about the special teams game. For, for TCU, they have Griffin Kells, their kicker, who's a pretty dependable guy. Yeah, came uh, up with some big kicks on came Saturday. Came up with some big kicks on Saturday. That's another – I guess that's one area that you would say ha- has been maybe a bit of a um, bit of a hit in this spot for K-State uh, with Chris Tennant. With Griffin Kell, you're going to get a pretty, uh, pretty dependable kicker there for TCU. So that's one aspect of it. Uh, you know, obviously a, a big play in the special teams game – uh, K-State has had that, uh, you know, here already this season with Phillip Brooks and his track record has been has been one of, as a, a pretty consistent guy uh, that can be, uh, you know, dynamic in that aspect of the game. Same thing with Malik Knowles on kick returns. Don't forget it, about Seth Porter. I'm monitoring. Don't you worry. You know I am. I know. Uh, but you look at what K-State's able to do there, maybe on special teams, in a game like this, a special teams play, uh, of course, uh, gets magnified when it's when it's a, a, a big game like this. Uh, I look for maybe K-State to, to have some success there as well. Yeah, you, you mentioned Griffin Kell, perfect 5-for-5 five five on the season so far. He was 14-of-18 last year. Um, his range throughout his career is roughly 50 yards. Um, they won't hesitate to put him out there for that. Uh but, yeah, you just keep waiting for K-State to have their next big special teams play. Um, you know, they uh, they had the big kickoff return against Oklahoma. Uh, but really, it seems like that was the last notable special teams yeah. play. And, and before that was Missouri. the Missouri punt yeah. return. Um, and so it, it's been a little while since that part of K-State's program has really showed its face um, over these last few games. Granted, K-State's won all of them. Uh, but that would be that could be a huge difference maker on Saturday. And boy, with respect to the kicking game, it just feels like we're living on a razor's edge with Chris Tennant. Yeah, and maybe yeah. we've been spoiled over the years uh, with just some pretty dependable kickers. But um, it it just feels like we're living on a prayer a little bit every time we line up, and it really well. I forget what he did against Tulane or, and whether it would have made a difference. But uh, in any event, it's part of the game that the kicking game these last few years has been a little nerve-wracking, whereas the return game, punk coverage, pretty dependable. But, uh, yeah, if K-State can get a big play, if this game is within three points, it, it could certainly come down to uh, who's got the better special teams play. Deli, you ready for prediction? Yeah, I think I am. I'll let you have. I'll let you have the uh, the first honors here. I think it's going to be a close game. I think TCU. Um, I think they have a good offense, and I think they have a 
pretty okay defense, and they've come out on the right side of some close games so far. One thing about this game uh, for TCU's offense, they have not played... I'm sorry, they have not played a defense that's as close to Kansas... that's as good as Kansas State. Um, Oklahoma State, a fine enough unit, but the TCU offense struggled for a long time on Saturday, and it wasn't really until the second half that they got into a rhythm and were able to start punishing. Um, Keandre Miller and DeMarcado uh, and Quentin Johnston really carried TCU through the second half on Saturday, and a lot of that came on busted coverages, broken tackles, uh, particularly in the run game with some of DeMarcado's long runs. Um, so I, I really like, I think is going to have a little bit of a wake-up call uh, against K-State's defense, um, and I think K-State, K-State's offensive line is going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. And I think in games where K-State's offensive line can control the line of scrimmage, I think it's really hard for defenses to stop K-State um, just because the passing game is good enough. And if the offensive line is carrying its weight, the running game is impossible to stop unless you're committing a ton of resources and leaving yourself vulnerable with the passing game. Um, so I think it's a good matchup for K-State, especially in light of what TCU went through last week. Um, that said, I think on a normal day, these teams are pretty darn evenly matched. Um, and... Uh, it could be anybody's game, but I like K State in this spot, and I like them by a score of thirty-four to twenty-eight. Thirty-four, twenty-eight for Delhi. I like it. Uh, I also like Kansas State in this game, and for a lot of the reasons that you said too. I think it's a great spot for K State. Uh, I think K State's defense is the best uh, that uh, TCU has gone up against, and the other thing too that I think about this K State defense that even makes it a uh, maybe a little bit better of a matchup, is with what we have at the cornerback position. Going into the season, we thought that that was the strength of this team. Julius Brantz, uh, Echo Boydo, two guys that have played a lot of lot of football. And with Brantz, has a little bit more of that physical stature that's going to be a little bit easier for him to to uh, to go up against the Quentin Johnston uh, if they get locked up man-on-man. Man man. Now, K-State... Typically likes to play a little bit more quarters or, or, or cover three type defense. Uh, but with that being said, um, I look at what, what K-State's going to be able to do with a pass rush. And, and I think that's what really tilts the uh, the scales in K-State's favor. With with, with uh, Felix Sanduke, Azama, Khalid Duke. Looks to be healthy. Uh, I, I think he's going to be... I, I know I, I didn't get a chance to listen today uh, to to Kleiman's full uh, you know uh, weekly media availability, but uh, the the talk on Duke was that he should be able to go. So with that being said, K State has that week to get to get their guys healthy. I think that's going to play huge dividends in the second half of this game, where you saw Oklahoma State kind of start leaking water. I think K-State uh, is a little bit more well-rested and a little bit healthier in that respect. Offensively for K-State, I'm even going to call my shot here. I think K-State's going to have some success on some jet sweep action. Yeah. Whether if it's with Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, maybe even Deuce Vaughn in some situations. Yeah. Uh, I like for K-State to be able to to put a lot of stress on this Oklahoma or on this uh, TCU defense with uh, runs to the boundary and, and out, out wide, 
as well as between the tackles with Deuce Vaughn, Adrian Martinez in the read option and power game too. So I look for K-State to have some success there. And ultimately, I think it comes down to a, a few big pass plays, whether if it's on you know a third and six, third and seven, where either Adrian Martinez is able to find an open Phillip Brooks, Malik Knowles, Ben Sennett uh, down the seam, or maybe even just tuck it himself and, and pick up the yards on his own, as we saw he, him do uh, with great success against Oklahoma earlier this season. So I'm taking K-State 2. I'm taking K-State 37-30. to 30. I like it. You know, and before we get away from TCU, there, one kind of sleepy, quiet um, point about the bye week is it's another week for DJ Giddens to kind of orient, yeah, uh, yeah, orientate absolutely. himself into this offense and kind of develop in that way too um, and get himself more comfortable, the coaches more comfortable with, with him. And, you know, he might be that fix for uh, K-State's third and short issue that, sure. that they've had a problem with this year where uh, Deuce, who I still think is one of the best running backs in the country, kind of lacks that power inside of being able to get the one yard when you need it. And so whether it's them putting in a package where Deuce is out wide and Giddens is in the backfield or maybe even something like a wildcat, something like we saw against Texas last year with Giddens taking the snap directly, um, because it's, it's those... I don't know why margins is the buzz, buzzword this year, um, but it's those kind of third and one um, type of marginal plays where K-State's offense has really struggled with this year, and if they were just able to pick those up at a 10% rate higher or something, uh, then the offense looks a lot better than it's been. Um, and uh, Giddens, I, I have the sense that Giddens is probably the solution to that problem, um, and him just being so green in the system and in his development uh, has kind of prevented him from being able, being able to be out there in those spots. But the extra the bye week here might have come at the right time to get him uh, some extra time to, to get situated and comfortable in the offense and give the coaches the confidence to put him in in those critical third and shorts. I think so, too. I think so, too. And you're Stan Weber now. Yeah, I'm Stan. You're Stan. Uh, I like that. I like that. I like to see because I mean you have to. We mentioned it last week, of course, with DJ Giddens. Uh, his contributions uh, late in that Iowa State game uh, were huge. Yeah, uh, it, where he was really called on as the 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 bell cow running back there for the final stretch there, and uh, was able to ice the game away for K State. So I've got it thirty seven thirty. You have it thirty four twenty eight. Both with Kansas State uh, coming out. We expect Kansas State to go to four zero in conference play here. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. It's it should be a great game under the lights. Uh, you know, the uh, eyes of the country are going to be on Fort Worth and uh, on these Texas Christian Horned Frogs against the Kansas State Wildcats. And uh, like I said, playing relevant, important football here um, as we approach the end of October, and that's uh, that's what we want to see. Tim Brando, Spencer Tillman on the call. Hell yeah. We love hearing some Timmy B. Yeah, he's, you know, people people don't like Tim Brando around these parts very much, but the guy's a professional, and he knows big cold football, and I think he does a great job. Yeah, can't wait to listen to his call and see the action there on Saturday. Saturday night down in the stockyards, 7 o'clock, FS1 kickoff there uh, for that. So that'll do it here. Oh, Belly, you got someone else? 
Is he related to Marlon? My research yields no. Okay. So, Marlon Brando is kind of problematic though now. Why? He's been he's been canceled. Isn't he dead? Yeah, he is. But he's posthumously canceled. Posthumously. Posthumously, whatever. How do you want to say it? <laughs> you always correct me on those things. I yeah. say things a little bit different than you do. So, uh, anyway, K-State, uh, TCU, great game. We both have the Wildcats coming out on top. And that'll do it here for our TCU preview. Yeah. Um, after a quick break, we're going to come back with another in a long line of Wildcat legends. And it's your turn now to get into the mix here on the short side option. With this week's latest installment of Ask the Icon, join us after a quick break. Short Side Option, we're back. You're listening to DLU, you're listening to the Icon, you're listening to the Short Side Option podcast. And friends, you're about to be listening to this week's Wildcat legend. And Icon, this week's Wildcat legend hails from Folkston, Georgia. Georgia boy. He played for the legend. Played for the legend, okay. Legend 2.0. Okay. That means during or after 2009, when the legend returned. Because the Hall of Fame could wait. Because the Hall of Fame could, of course, wait. And it did. It and waited. it did. It waited. Patiently. Mm-hmm. Wasn't happy about it. It waited. But it waited. Mm-hmm. Um, this man played on the defensive side of the football. I'll tell you, he was a defensive end. Number 55. Now, I said 2.0. Okay. So it's not Marvin Simmons. Yeah, he was a linebacker. Right. But he was 1.0. Yes, that's true. Also number 55. Yes. Um, He is the son of Tion and Rachel. He majored in sociology and criminology. Okay. You good? Yeah, I think I'm good. (laughs) All right. So so hold on, hold on. We got, what are our clues so far? Playful legend... 2.0 2.0 legend. 55. Defender. Defensive Did I say defensive end? You, well, you said defensive lineman. And, oh. and typically, you know, I equate that with Fair enough. that number. And I said he's a Georgia boy. Tion and Rachel are his parents. Yep. So, who we got? You got Adam Davis. That's exactly right, Icon. You're a legend. You're an icon. Adam Davis. The speedy and talented end who really came on towards the end of 2011 and played at an old Big 12 level in 2012. So, he started out in community college, okay? Yep, he sure did. He was named a second team uh, junior college All-American at the end of 2009 at Hutchinson. A blue dragon. That's right. He was a four-star recruit per Rivals.com, named the 38th best junior college prospect according to that. Website. He was a prep star all region, uh, mid prep star all region team. Racked up 14 and a half sacks. 14 and a half. His first year at Hutch, uh, which is the third best single season ever at Hutch Community College. Proud program. That's that's an honor right there. If you can uh, be among the best there your first season, that's, that's pretty good. You know what I've always said? About Hutch Juco. What's that? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. I, I left you speechless almost. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He had uh, 23 career sacks, uh, 
at Hutch, which is good enough for second all-time in Blue Dragon history. So before even getting to K-State, uh, had built himself quite a legacy for the Hutch Blue Dragons. Came to K-State, 2010, he redshirted. Redshirted. Yeah. Yeah. 2011, that's where he entered the scene. He started all 13 games defensive end for the Wildcats, tallied 34 tackles, 8 for a loss, and 4 sacks. And all 4 sacks came in the final 3 games of that uh, really wild 2011 season. He also had 2 sacks uh, in the Cotton Bowl against Arkansas. Uh, also against the Hogs, he had 3 tackles for a loss. He had 3 tackles against Baylor that year, for setting a career-high 5 tackles against Missouri. And he registered a sack against Texas in 2011 and uh, reset his career high with six tackles against Iowa State. So that's 2011. Solid hand there on the D-end uh, spot for the Wildcats. 2012 is when he exploded onto the scene, earning second-team All-Big 12 honors uh, for both the coaches and the AP. He averaged over four tackles um, per game that year over a tackle for a loss per game, and had close to a sack a game over the last 15 games uh, of his career. He finished the regular season ranked fourth in the conference with seven and a half sacks, tied for fifth in tackles for a loss. Uh, he had four forced fumbles in 2012. Uh, wow, that's a that's like quite a number there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, mean, you just go down these games. He was made a midseason all big 12 performer by Philly Steely who we like yep we all we always like what Philip has to bring to the table he had two sacks against Miami in that uh, route at home tallied six tackles against North Texas one and a half tackles for a loss a sack a forced fumble against the mean green had four tackles at Oklahoma in that thriller um, Titus career high with six stops against Kansas. And then had five tackles and a pass breakup uh, up in Ames against Iowa State. Um, had eight tackles and half a sack against Oklahoma State in 2012. Uh, against TCU, uh, he had four tackles, a sack, uh, forced a fumble, and batted a pass. And finally notched seven tackles in the regular season finale against Texas, including a 10-yard sack against the Longhorns to secure Kansas State their second Big 12 championship against the Longhorns. Um, just all in all over his career, an absolute sure hand and somebody who made uh, quarterbacks' lives nightmares, whether it was in the Big 12 or in the Jayhawk League. You know, when you look at what Adam Davis did at Kansas State, I look at that, uh, that defensive line for K-State in 2012, I'm going to run out some names here. Meshack Williams, Viola Tui, uh, Travis Brits get into the mix there. And, and then Adam Davis, uh, uh, among a few of those, Ryan Mueller, uh, of course, kind of got onto the scene there in 2012 as well. Uh, but really, probably I would have to say one of the top defensive lines uh, at K-State in the last decade that, that maybe doesn't quite have the star power that, that maybe a defensive line like this uh, K-State defense does with Felix Anduke, Azama, uh, Khalid Duke um, in there as well. Uh, it, it's a really a, I think, 
it was a, a really a group effort in 2012, and, and Adam Davis was a huge part of that. So I, yeah. I look at his uh, time uh, wearing the purple very fondly. Absolutely. Um, we're all very proud of Adam Davis for the work he did, and it's TCU, uh, an opponent K-State's had a lot of recent success at the defensive end spot with Felix's um, sacks last year, really six sacks last year against Texas Christian. Um you know, it just reminds us of some of the great defense events of the past. And so uh, it's that reason in particular that makes Adam Davis this week's Wildcat legend. And like, we're going to go ahead and get into our final segment on the show, okay? A segment we call Ask the Icon, where listeners to the Short Side Option podcast can ask the Short Side Option podcast's very own Chris the Icon sort questions, okay? That's what, that's what they do in this segment. Yeah, they'll ask them, you answer them candidly. Fully, truthfully. 100%. And with authority, because you watch a lot of college football, man. Oh, no question. That's um, all I do. Yeah, and listeners can submit those questions to the short side option by uh, logging onto Twitter and tweeting them at TSSO underscore podcast or by using the hashtag AskTheIcon or stay with me here. Build yourself a robot. Have it stalk the icon. Whether it's at work, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's when he's getting his haircut. And I'm having the need of a haircut, too. So this is a prime opportunity for this to happen. Well, something to think about. But program that, program that robot to follow the icon around. And when uh, you have a question for him, just t- send it to the robot and the robot get an icon's face. If you're a little shy, have a, you can hire that sucker out. Oh, yeah. No question. But the, what they're doing with AI these days? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um... In any event, uh, our first question this week comes from listener Todd, TG Viss. Always yep. in the mix. Always like hearing from Todd. Todd asks, who's your dream play-by-play and color broadcast combo for a Cats football game? Past and present. Easy for me. Yeah. You ready for this? Yeah. You, you pretty much know what I'm going to I have a guess at what you're going to say. And then yours is going to be different because I know who yours is going to be. Yeah. Can I let me let me guess yours? Okay. Or actually, I'll let you. I'll let you have your own thunder there. Mine, Brent Musburger on the call, Gary Danielson uh, as the color man, and our buddy old Jackaroot down there on the sideline. All right. See, my dream. Got Brent, of course. Dave Lapham, Lap Daddy, (laughs) the Lap Daddy doing a little color. Yeah. And uh, Noxie. On the sideline. Yeah, you know, you and I were on the road this last Sunday. Uh, yes. We were listening to some NFL radio. Yeah, listening to NFL uh, Sunday Drive hosted by Steve Torrey and Bill Luckis. Yeah, and we uh, got the pleasure of listening to the Cincinnati Bengals uh, broadcast. And who other than Dave Lapham out there of, of FSN early mid 2000s yeah. uh, yeah. fame, um, really just giving it his all for the. Uh, the Bengals. Yeah. That that theme song, unfortunately, has gone by the wayside now. As as uh, Fox with their college uh, sports here, they they just embrace the their own. They have a new theme now, or they sometimes they just go with the uh, the NFL. It's such theme. a shame because that FSN theme was just was so great. good. They drum fill didn't have to hit that hard. It, it really didn't. I mean, I don't throw this word around loosely, but that FSN 
score, iconic. No question. No, no argument from me. Uh, Todd follows up, um, hopping into the mix here. He says that the list does not include Joe Klatt on color, on color commentary. Consider my contributions to Manhattan Brewing done. So, our apologies go out to Oh, our, so he, he's he's very fond of, of he Joe likes, Flat. Yeah, he, he loves Apparently, he doesn't, he doesn't have uh, any issues with the, uh, the 04 and 05 uh, Colorado uh, losses, which still, still ripped me up a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, we don't forget. Um, next question comes from listener David Saban at Saban Nation. David asks, Hey, Icon. You know, a lot of people... A lot of people think this segment is. Hey, we should consider renaming the segment to "Hey Icon." Hey Icon. Yeah, a lot of. You know, we'll talk with our marketing team. We'll see if maybe that's a maybe a little bit more palatable for some folks. Yeah. He says, "Hey Icon, if someone asked you what it meant to quote get out there and play," end quote, how would you define it? What mental exercises do you do, if any? To ensure you accomplish this on a daily basis. Absolutely, get Great out there question. and play. I, I like to say that you know. And, and we, we're guilty with uh, of this a little bit because with this podcast, we we do a lot of analysis. We talk about all the film we study. We talk about certain matchups that may lend themselves to, you know, a certain team's um, advantage, maybe disadvantage. Now, David asks, just what's it mean to what what do you have to do to get yourself mentally able? To just go out there and go play, and what I, the best way I can describe this, is to just flush all that out. Everything that you hear from whether if it's from from talking heads like us, or what you read, uh, you know, in the paper or on blogs, whatever the case might be. You're a big blog guy. I oh know. yeah, yeah. I love web blogs. Uh, just to just to kind of tune that out. Take a deep breath and just go out there and do what you do. Just go out and play. That's what it all comes down to. Got to got to go out there. Got to be an athlete. Got to go out and play. Most definitely. Uh, great question from David, and uh, look forward to hearing from you next week. Uh, next question comes from listener KSU underscore Funny thirty three. KSU Funny asks, "Hey Icon, what are your thoughts on Tim Brando? Huge fan." I think we said it. You know, Tim Brando called one of K-State's most signature wins in in school history. And that, of course, friends, is the 1997 Tostitas Fiesta Bowl win against Syracuse. Wow. On the call there for CBS. He's been doing this a long time. He has been. And uh, Timmy B, uh, you know, he's a guy that I'll just kind of tell you like it is. He's got. What was the game that got... KCA oh, it was the so Texas mad. Tech game last year where he was butchering uh, Felix's name. Oh, the horror. God forbid somebody gets a name wrong. <laughs> yeah, name that's not for nothing. A little bit of a mouthful. Now, granted, do your homework. There's pronunciation guides out there. But you don't have to rake the guy over the coals. Yeah, uh, with uh, Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman, I think it's one of the more underrated uh, college football announcer pairings, and I look forward to their call here on Saturday. Yeah, I, uh, I think Brando's fine. I, I, I got nothing against him. I think he tends to do a good job. Really good job. Yeah, really good job. Um, thank you to KC underscore funny thirty three. Always a pleasure. 
Next question comes from listener Tyler J at T underscore Rich, 1863. Tyler J asks, are the Wildcats still undervalued on a national level? It feels to me like these cats are poised for a big finish. Yeah, you know, so there's kind of two parts to that question, right? You know, like, are they undervalued currently? And I would say probably they're adequately valued. Because, you know, K-State's big win here to date so far uh, is against Oklahoma. And they've taken on some water, of course. And when I say that's their big win, uh, when you look at what, where, you know, primetime national television broadcast there, uh, that, that's where the most eyeballs were on. And now, granted, this, this Oklahoma team has fallen off. Now, I do think that there's a, a very real possibility that this Oklahoma team uh, really finds their footing and is one of the more dangerous teams in the conference here as they, uh, as they continue on here throughout the rest of their Big 12 schedule. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch how Oklahoma kind of embraces the role of spoiler. Yeah. Because the three losses, I think it's safe to say they're probably knocked out, especially with losses to Kansas State and TCU. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if – well, and, and Texas also um, – It'll be interesting to see if they can come up and maybe nip Oklahoma State and Bedlam, uh, maybe play spoiler for some Big 12 Bowl hopes later on in the season if uh, Oklahoma, West Virginia, um, if West Virginia's bowl hunting or a team like Baylor trying to sure. jockey for bowl position. Uh, but it'll be really fun to watch what Dylan Gabriel and really an Oklahoma team that's better than they've been the last yeah. few weeks. And it wouldn't surprise me, I mean, honestly with the rest of the remaining schedule, uh, would it shock me if they won out? No, it wouldn't. Uh, they'll probably be favored in every game that they play. Sands, maybe Oklahoma State, but likely with that game being at home this year for Oklahoma, probably a game that they uh, will be favored in. So this is a team that's likely going to be favored in the remaining games this season. I guess if they were to play Oklahoma State tomorrow on a on – a, uh, on a, uh, uh, a field in Norman, Oklahoma, they'd probably be a slight favorite. Uh, so when you look at all that stuff, I'll be interested to see how they uh, kind of transition here into the uh, the second half of the Big 12 uh, slate for them. But it, to get back to the question, I feel like K-State is really facing uh, the barrel uh, of their schedule here in the, uh, the brew of their schedule with TCU this week, Oklahoma State, and Texas to follow. Uh, an absolute opportunity for them uh, to really announce their their presence as, as a top ten team here, uh, if things go the way of the Wildcats. Yeah, and I, so for right now, I think K State's probably adequately slotted, perceived on a national level, only because I think a lot of people uh, across the country are taking kind of a wait and see approach with this sure. offense. Is this K State team good enough to average? Uh, in the mid to upper 30s, particularly the offense is where everyone has questions. Uh, are they good enough to average 35-plus points per game against the teeth of the Big 12? And prior to last week, I think that answer looked... Or, I'm sorry, prior to Iowa State, that answer looked probably yes, um, at least in my opinion. The Iowa State game gives people a lot of pause, understandably, um, on a national level, only because they look and see the final score of 10-9. Um, they say, boy, what an ugly game, without really appreciating that K-State left some points on the field and probably not appreciating just how good that Iowa State defense Yeah, is. I mean, for and I think maybe folks 
got the chance to see uh, on a more national scale that uh, this Iowa State defense, not one of just the best of the Big 12, but one of the best in the country. Yeah. And uh, you saw that with a game they really should have beat Texas in uh, on the road. Uh, now, Iowa State has a bye week this week, I do believe, and then they host Oklahoma at Jack Trice. Now, as as I just was going on about how Oklahoma, hey, they could they could win out, they could go, you know, nine and three, or nine and three, and go win the rest of their games here. Uh, that's a game that I think is going to be as tough as any uh, team that has to go on the road to Ames here for the rest of the year. Uh, you know, Iowa State's not necessarily going to be at the top of the standings. But uh, in terms of a place that is tough to play at and against a, an offense that's really not that bad, I don't feel like, I mean, the numbers might not quite bear that out, but from what I've seen, uh, an offense that had, has had some potential uh, in a defense that's really, really, really good. So uh, that's going to be a tough game. Uh, I, I think that when you look at that Iowa State win, uh, and, and you maybe brush it off, oh, you know, they beat Iowa State, who cares? That's a better win than a lot of people will give it credit for. Right. And if people are underappreciating K-State at this point uh, here today on October uh, 19th, 2022, um, give it some time. Whether, whether K-State's for real, for real or not is going to be answered uh, resoundingly here in the next two weeks because K-State's got a game in Fort Worth and against Oklahoma State the following week. And then... Face off against Texas and Manhattan the week after that. And so uh, K State goes out and beats TCU, goes out and beats Oklahoma State. This is a team uh, in two weeks that could be uh, comfortably in the top 10 and be talked about a lot is potential Big 12 champion, uh, potential playoff contender yeah. here if K State goes out and wins their next two games. And so um, I think people are, are recognizing that. K-State's win over OU, probably not as meaningful as what was given at the time. Uh, and they look ahead and see K-State's got three very tough games, probably their three hardest games of the season uh, over these next three weeks. And so probably just waiting and seeing how K-State does there. But um, to the extent K-State's being slept on right now, if this K-State team is for real, they will not be slept on much longer. Um, so great question from Tyler J. Uh, we always love seeing... T. Rich get into the mix here as we continue on in the short side option. Um, an icon? Uh, that's that's the final question. Okay. Unless you have well, any carrier pigeons? Well, I'm glad he brought that up to the, up to uh, up to my uh, discussion here because I saw our buddy Trim get into the mix uh, a little bit earlier uh, in the week. You're, you're right. I overlooked this. Um, are you talking about the uh, Tyler H. Wedding? Well, that and also that um, our friends at, was it Cricket Wireless, T-Mobile? I'm not quite sure exactly where. WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Okay, I apologize. The war on carrier pigeons is alive and well, folks. And uh, they're saying you, you sign up with WhatsApp. You don't have to worry about the carrier pigeons. Well, hey, I'll just tell you this. Carrier pigeons are always welcome here on the short side option. I didn't build this coop in here for, for no reason. Most definitely. I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, it's taking up half the studio. Well, if, if carrier pigeons go out of style, I mean, you got a lot of birds in here. 
Yeah, they're kind of my friends, though. Yeah, you're kind of like Pigeon Man from Hey Arnold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> if, if these pigeons don't uh, carry your messages anymore, they're just going to lift you up. On a in five into the sun. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Through via a, a complicated set of strings attached to your old dirty trench coat. But uh, fly away, I will. Yeah. So uh, now, now there was a question about the about the wedding situation. That's because right. Because not dissimilar to what uh, to what I was going through against the in the Iowa State game. You know, K State's playing Iowa State late, uh, six thirty kickoff. Fall wedding season right in the mix there as well, uh, but uh, I, I know uh, that that th eight uh, uh, our, our buddy Tyler got into the mix there and uh, was able to uh, to watch the game uh, a okay. Yeah, now th uh, eight did not provide a report on exactly how he handled it. Oh, I I, I got a report. Oh, I think it's uh, it's in here someplace. I think it might have been via DM here. Uh, and uh, sure enough, here it is. Oh, here you go. I'm, I'm there. Okay. He says uh, that he watched the first half at the table during dinner and shortly after, no problem. Table full of people who got it. Uh, then he danced with his wife during halftime and was back to having it on his phone at the table and watching for the second half and then dancing to celebrate afterwards. So it sounded like he was able to be kind of glued in during the first half of the table you know, take a break, go glad hand a little bit, dance with the missus, keep her happy uh, during halftime. Of course, 20-minute halftimes in college. So you got a little you, time you, to... But you can get a lot done there. Yeah, you got a lot of time to mingle. Two or three songs? Yeah. Go do the uh, electric slide, if you want. Chicken dance, possible? Yeah. Dollar dance, even. Yeah. Um, then get back to the table and, and get tuned into the second half to watch uh, Xavier Hutchinson really struggle to uh, field that third... Third down catch for the Cyclones and celebrated K State win by getting out there on the dance floor. Sounds like he was cutting a rug. Yeah, you love to see that. And you said you're going to a wedding this weekend. No, not no wedding this weekend. Oh, okay. Just work this weekend. So, uh, but we'll be we'll be what by hook or by crook we'll be we'll be keeping in by uh, uh, whether if it's listening to Wyatt and Stan uh, or uh, getting it on the phone. We'll we'll be sure to uh, to stay up to speed with uh, what's going on in Fort Worth. Most definitely. Well, that wraps up the uh, Ask the Icon segment. Icon, um, what do you think about maybe taking a little tour around the Big 12 this week? Yeah, let's get it pulled up here, bud. Um, gosh, you know, you. I think you said it best, Dell. is that um, are there games in the Big 12 this week? Yeah, there are. Then there are going to be some good ones. They're all meaningful. And this week you got four games uh We'll start at the eleven o'clock window. K State, or excuse me, KU and Baylor uh, down in Waco. Baylor an eight point favorite uh, in this game. Blake Shapen left uh, the action uh, in, in Morgantown last Thursday. You expect him to be able to go, uh, and then of course like with KU, you expect Jason Bean to be out there rather than Jalen Daniels. I know his. Availability is still kind of a question mark uh, moving forward. Uh, I think I saw today he was a limited participant in uh, KU's uh, practice, so possibly I, I would be surprised to see him play against Baylor, but uh, certainly uh, something to keep an eye on. So KU and Baylor in Waco, how do you see that one shaking out? Well, you know, I I think this year in the Big 12, you're in my mind, 
it's you lose until you lose three games in the conference, you still have a shot to get to yeah. Arlington. Yeah. And so that makes this game in in Waco this weekend kind of an elimination game because each of these teams is, is sitting on two conference losses, and I think that uh, only the winner of this game has any hopes of getting to the Big Twelve championship after even as long as they even as each seem like pretty long shots right now. Um, gosh, I I think Baylor uh, is probably my pick in this one. Only because I, I I still think... Well, let me talk about the Oklahoma game last week with Kansas. Because that's a game that KU was a little bit outclassed in. It felt like yeah. pretty much from the start. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma was able to do really whatever they wanted to on offense. I think they had close to 500 yards in the first half against KU on Saturday. Uh, the, the Dylan Gabriel Oklahoma team uh, looks to be getting back into form. But... Credit to Kansas because they stuck around and hung around in that game um, and made it at least semi-competitive really up until the end. And that was a game that looked like it would have been really easy for KU to kind of roll over there sometime in the third quarter and uh, let this thing get very out of hand. But KU, uh, a pesky out there. Um, Now, I think KU goes up against a defense that's going to be put up a little bit better of a fight than uh, Oklahoma was able to on Saturday. And really, I think this Oklahoma defense is going to be a problem for them all year. Um, and that said, I think a lot of this comes down to Blake Shapin and, and kind of where where he is uh, right now, whether he'll be able to go following some of the concussion protocol he was in last week. Um, because that, that uh, backup quarterback for Baylor um, left a little to be desired there in the second half against West Virginia last week. Uh I'm prob- I'm going Baylor just because I think they have a, a defense that could probably figure out a way to contain Jason Bean, and I think this KU defense has been living on borrowed time here for a while, and they started really leaking against Oklahoma. Uh, so I'm I'm going to go Baylor, but if uh, Shapin's not ready to go, then I think it's anyone's game. First to fifty, possibly. Yeah, uh, and I I like Baylor to win the game. I think I take KU. Uh, to cover the eight there. So that'll be one to watch. Over-under only at 58. Seems low. Seems really low uh, after what I saw last week. But uh, we'll be interested to see uh, what takes place in Waco. <coughs> Excuse me. Moving on here. Another elimination game uh, with uh, West Virginia at 1-2 uh, in conference play. Uh, going to uh, the West Plains of Texas to take on Texas Tech. Uh, they are also... Uh, one and two, both teams three and three overall in Big Twelve, or uh, one and two in Big Twelve play, three and three overall. Texas Tech, uh, a six and a half point favorite in this one. How do you see this one uh, shaking out between the Mountaineers and the Red Raiders? Yeah, I I think I like Texas Tech in this spot. Uh, that quarterback they got playing right now, um, who went out and put up yeah some it, it, well, pretty darn impressive yeah. against Oklahoma State up in Stilly. Uh, Brennan, what is it? Uh, Baron Morton. Uh, I like him. I think he's a step up from Donovan Smith. Uh, a little bit sure-handed and might be a big problem um, for the Big 12 here in the future because he is just a freshman. Um, I, I like Texas Tech in this spot. I think uh, West Virginia... I still think West Virginia is probably the worst team in the conference. Um, and I think Texas Tech... Their defense isn't the greatest, but I think they'll be able to get enough pressure on JT Daniels to give him some problems. And I think the West Virginia defense is uh, is just not not it. 
And so I like Baron Morton. I like the Red Raiders uh, winning against the Mountaineers. I like Texas Tech as well. Uh, over under in that game is 65 and a half. I think that's a game that could easily uh, you, you might if you take the over in that one. I think you might easily have that one uh, in the back pocket by halftime. Yeah, I'm not uh, so sure because we'll see. I I think this Texas Tech defense is. Uh, can be a little bit tougher than maybe maybe now West Virginia has been able to move the ball a little bit yeah uh, so I th- I think with West West Virginia you have one of the better more dynamic high scoring offenses in in the league uh, I'll be interested to see how that game goes but I'll, I'll take Texas Tech as well there um, and then the other game uh, featuring two ranked teams uh, we talked about uh, K State and TCU of course. Uh, number 17 and number 8 hooking up in Fort Worth in Stillwater. You've got number 20 Texas going on the road against Oklahoma State here in this one. Texas a 6.5 point road favorite in this one. Now, I mentioned Spencer Sanders availability. That's a big question mark here as we look at this game. You almost have to look at that line saying Spencer Sanders is Likely not going to go uh, w- with what you see there. I-, I think this is an interesting spot because Oklahoma State has seemingly had uh, the upper hand on Texas. Now, last time Texas was in Stillwater, they were able to beat uh, Mike Gundy's Cowboys. But this is a game, too, with, with Oklahoma State coming off of the, the heartbreaker, uh, kind of where they probably feel like they let one get away from them against uh, TCU. A chance for them to rebound. Uh, of course, against uh, what's a really uh, a pretty impressive Texas team here through through uh, their first four games in conference play. Uh, how do you see this one shaking out? I like Texas here, <coughs> and only because that uh, that game at TCU. I mean, what a heartbreaker! What a potential backbreaker for for Oklahoma State, um, especially um, just kind of the circumstances of it, where they get out to a big lead. And then just start bleeding, um, getting gassed. It's Spencer Sanders getting banged up. Uh, I, I think Oklahoma State is uh, has the potential here to have things spin a little out of control. Um, and gosh, you look at their schedule. I mean, they had their bye week. They're, they're going to have to play nine straight conference yeah, conference games without a bye. I mean, yeah. they they get their conference they get their bye week on September twenty fourth this year. And then they uh, go on the road and win an impressive one at Baylor. They get into that track meet at home against Texas Tech and then lose a heartbreaker to TCU. And now their prize for that is having to go up against Quinn Ewers and Bijan Robinson and what I think is a pretty good Texas defense. Um, I think Texas is just going to be fresher. I think they are uh, just a team with momentum right now, um, surviving the scare at Iowa State or against Iowa State last week. I, I think Texas wins this one uh, in covers. I'd say Texas by 10-ish. You know, everyone is kind of sweeping Oklahoma State aside. Not so fast, my friend. Oh! I think Oklahoma State rallies the troops, whether if it's Spencer Sanders or not at quarterback. I think a home crowd for Oklahoma State. And also, I think, too, something that we've talked about. Who did Texas play last week? They played a tough Iowa State team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's no walk in the park. Uh, I think they're maybe coming in fine, maybe a bit too high. I think Oklahoma State sneaks it out and, and gets a, uh, an upset win at home. I love it. That would uh, certainly uh, be a big one in the Big 12. Really, whoever loses that game is 
uh, is skating on thin ice here as we approach the back half of conference play because two losses makes every week a must win. Now, with that being said, if K-State's able to win against TCU, and if Oklahoma State was able to upset Texas, potential college game day location here in Manhattan uh, next Saturday for Oklahoma State uh, traveling to K-State, we'll kind of have to wait and see a little bit on on what uh, that might look like, of course. Uh, But something that's a a non-zero possibility here as we we look at uh, what the future might be able to hold. But uh, I guess you'd probably have to have Oklahoma State win and also have K-State win uh, to have that uh, table be set for that. Uh, you know, obviously, two teams that are underdogs with K-State in Oklahoma State uh, would need to win to have that happen. But I'm calling for both of it to happen there. So I love it. What, I mean, what do you I think about that? Though? I think as K-State fans, we ought to be uh, really rooting for rooting to see Spencer Sanders come out there at quarterback on Saturday for Oklahoma State. Uh, will his team to a heroic... Uh, five overtime win where he rushes the ball for about 25, 25 30 times. And uh, the Cowboys get back on the right side of things and come into Manhattan feeling good but exhausted. Well, uh, there you go. And it, I was going to go look to see uh, on ESPN um, who, who might be that backup quarterback for Oklahoma State. But when I go there, uh, the stats that are being shown are for the Oakland Raiders. Or huh. the Las Vegas Raiders. It's uh, Derek Carr uh, and Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams uh, uh, that are, are leading the way there. So folks at ESPN might want to get that fixed, but who am I to tell them what to do? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't imagine Derek Carr has a lot of uh, availability left. I'm seeing that the backup for Oklahoma State is actually Gunnar Gundy. Mike's boy. Mike's boy. Uh He's thrown 20 passes this year for 128 yards, uh, two touchdowns and an interception. So um, now he's has carried the ball seven times for 47 yards. And so uh, the true fresh or the freshman for Oklahoma State um, looks like he might be the one who is playing on Saturday if Spencer Sanders can't go. And what a story that will be if Mike's boy can uh, provide a big win over the Longhorns uh, for the Red for I'm sorry the Oklahoma State Cowboys. When I look at our lads, which is the, the most respected depth chart provider, Gunner Gundy, your backup quarterback, not Derek Carr. The redshirt freshman. The redshirt freshman. Gunner Gundy. So, well, Deli, anything else you want to uh, you know, mention here before we wrap it up here on this episode of the Short Side Option? No, I'll rest. I'll rest. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what K-State sees down there in Fort Worth. It should be a great atmosphere uh, for the game. I know a lot of K-State fans are going to be there for that one, so... Uh, if you're driving down to Fort Worth or if you're hopping on a plane to uh, Love Field, uh, hopefully you had the short side option to get you up to speed uh, here as we uh, we preview K-State and TCU. Would this be the biggest win of Clemens' uh, career? So I think it'd have to be. Yeah. I think it'd have to be. At least at Kansas State. Well, you know, you look at the OU game uh, back in 2019, uh, you, you can maybe point to that as well. Uh, but with with both these teams, uh, and especially more so in the case of defining it as the biggest one in Chris Kleiman's uh, tenure at K-State, K-State's right in the thick uh, of the uh, conference chase. That hasn't really been the case uh, with some of his previous big wins, uh, where he finds himself right in the mix, uh, mix there. So, yes, to answer your question, I think it was... Most be- meaningful win, at least. Um, yeah, no question. And could be eclipsed next week uh, again if, if things turn out right, so... Um, I think the right answer 
to that question is, of course it's the biggest one because it's the next one on the schedule. I know, but uh, you don't you don't like when I speak in cliches like that. I guess not when I'm being, not when I'm trying to be a serious college football commentator. Oh, of but no, this is this is it, man. I mean, this is a big time game on a big stage, um, and this is a chance for K State to really. Uh, show the nation that we are a player this year um, and we're a team to be taken seriously as we approach November. Well, that'll do it for us here on this episode of the Short Side Option. Join us next week where we'll be back to review uh, the game against TCU and look ahead to K-State's game at home, homecoming against Oklahoma State. Thanks for listening to us here on the Short Side Option podcast and go Cats!